Let's turn this in our Bible this morning. First, the book of Matthew will be in Matthew chapter number 27. And from Matthew 27, we'll get our text this morning. Uh, but then, uh, just a little bit in our introduction, I am going to read from John chapter 3. Uh, and then I'll read from Hebrews chapter number 10. And so if you were going to read a lot of scripture to get started this morning, and so our text is going to come from Matthew 27, and then we're going to turn in just a few moments to John chapter number 3, then Hebrews chapter number 10. Uh, but once we turn from Matthew 27, hold your spot there because we will be coming back to it uh, for the remainder of the message. And so uh, those are uh, our text will come from Matthew 27, but I do want to let you know we'll be in John 3 and Hebrews 10. So if you want to go ahead and find your place there <coughs> so we can get we can turn quickly this morning because there is a lot of scripture I want to read, a lot I want to get to. Uh, as you know, because you've been here, uh, those of you that have been here, we have been some time in a series on Sunday morning that I've entitled Standing Near the Cross. And we've been looking at Calvary. We've been looking at the crucifixion of our Savior. And of course, the crucifixion of Christ is the, the songs this morning. Just put the focus on that. It's the most important thing that we see in these passages of Scripture. But I don't want to be lost on us. And I think we've been uh, amazed, if you will, to see so many truths uh, that are, are in these other figures at the cross. And so we've looked at Mary, we've looked at John, we've looked at uh, Simon the Cyrene who carried the cross, we've looked at the centurion, some of the soldiers, and so so many characters that have been there. And uh, this morning we're going to read from Matthew chapter number 27, and I'm going to begin reading with verse number 35, Matthew 27 verse 35, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. <clears throat> and sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And upon the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink. The rest said, Let be, <clears throat> let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Once again, from the book of Matthew, we've brought most of our messages these Sunday mornings from the book of John, but we see Matthew's account of the crucifixion. 
And as we know, and as I've already mentioned, we look at, we've looked at different characters and uh, much to learn. I, I have to tell you, uh, the characters we're going to look at this morning, I don't like very well. Um, I called my dad on the way in uh, this morning just to, to check on them, and uh, um, he asked, he says, well, who, who are we looking at by the cross this morning? I said, we're looking at the bad guys, and uh, I don't like the bad guys. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at the chief priest. Um, and uh, we're going to look at the chief priest. And this is the title. This is the perspective we're going to look at. It. The chief priest, the result of dead religion. The chief priests were some vile individuals. But they were moral individuals. The chief priests were evil. But yet, they probably lived a higher standard of living than the average person. They're the result of dead religion. Dead religion might make you moral, but it won't save your soul. Dead religion may have you live at a higher standard, but it doesn't cleanse you, it doesn't save you from evil. This morning we're going to look at the chief priest, the result of dead religion. Father, I pray this morning that you would use me. I pray that I would just be a vessel. Father, I pray the Spirit of God would work through me and through your word this morning to speak to our hearts. And Father, may we be reminded how wonderful our salvation is. May we be reminded of the necessity of redemption. While we live in a world that looks for many things to uh, give it comfort, many things to uh, save it, and Father, there's only one who can save this world, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And may these truths this morning that we look at, may they remind us of the necessity of Calvary, the necessity of the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us. I pray if there's one unsaved, may they trust Christ today, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The chief priests, we find them mentioned several times in our passage. The chief priests who were there to execute, if you will, the formalities of the Jewish religion in the temple, instead of doing those duties, we find them at the cross mocking Jesus who was being crucified. The chief priests, who were they? If A very short, simple definition. They were the religious hierarchy. They had duties, responsibilities in the temple. And since Jesus began his earthly ministry, there had been a growing conflict between the chief priest and between the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus, in his teachings, claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. Because of the ministry of Christ, multitudes left religion and believed on Christ. They left religion, the multitudes did, and in doing so, it pulled them away from a de dead religion. It pulled them away from a law that could not save. It pulled them away from the influence of the chief priest. The chief priest hated Jesus because they believed not on him. Make no mistake about it, friend. Dead religion hates Jesus Christ. 
Say, oh, well, they all talk about Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. They do not believe on the Jesus of the Bible, the Son of God, or they would not be in their dead religion. The chief priests hated Jesus because they believed not on him. The chief priests were so enamored with their own goodness, with their own religious standing, that they refused to consider that Jesus had come to fulfill and replace the law as the prophets had prophesied. How ironic, but how sad for these very individuals to quote the prophets and to see the fulfilled prophecy in their, in their eyes and reject the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the chief priests had tried to kill him before, but the hour had not yet come. What we see here at Calvary, what we see here, and we'll take a moment uh, in the message this morning, and we'll look at some of the things the chief priest, priest did behind the scenes. We have a brewing conflict that is coming to a head. The chief priest versus Jesus Christ was a battle of religion versus redemption. Jesus came to redeem. And the battle comes when religion wants to keep man bound and only Christ can redeem. John chapter number 3. You know this passage of Scripture well, but I'd like for you to look at it. If you have already found your place there, we'll begin reading with verse number 16 and hold your place in Matthew 27. We'll be back there. John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, not in religion, in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. The multitudes who left religion to follow Christ, they were not condemned. Friend, this morning, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. Hebrews, chapter number 10. And I'll begin reading in just a moment. I want you to, to see this this morning. Hebrews chapter number 10. I remind you that the chief priests, as they have risen up against Jesus Christ, this was a not a difference of opinion. This was a battle of religion versus redemption. Religion condemns with no hope. If you believe not in the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how much you keep the law. You are condemned with no hope because no man can keep the law. But Christ redeems. And in that redemption, He gives us hope. Hebrews chapter number 10. I'm going to read several verses here, so follow along with me. Hebrews 10 verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Who, what's Hebrews talking about? He's talking about the chief priest. And they would make those sacrifices which they, they had to do in that Old Testament. There's one coming with the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Those sacrifices that were being made was just a picture of the blood that would be shed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. That's part of why the chief priest hated Jesus, because he was taking away the first to establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Friend, this morning Jesus Christ died one time for all for everybody. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, Pastor Daniel, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Let me tell you this morning, Jesus died once for all. Verse 11, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The conflict was with dead religion keeping man lost in his sins. Versus Jesus Christ who came to redeem men from sins. Friend, this morning, sometimes this is a subject that makes us uncomfortable. We talk about false religion because of what we're inundated with, that there's many ways to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We can get to heaven, but it's a narrow way. How narrow? It's just the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't work your way there. I can't work my way there. I can't do enough religious things to be saved because only Jesus redeems. Religion keeps in bondage. The priest standeth daily, verse 11, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but this man... After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Those chief priests didn't want to be out of a job. They were getting pushed to the, to the back of the line. They're not as important as the Son of God who came to, do, to pay for sins one time. And those chief priests, when they would go through those priestly duties, they would say, see you again next year because you've got to come back next year. Because the, the blood of the bulls and goats, that's just a picture of, of salvation. You, it, you can't take away your sins. You're going to have to come back next year, and we'll go through this ceremony all over again. But then there came a man named John who began to preach that there's one coming, and he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he begins to heal the sick and raise the dead and forgive the sins. And he began to proclaim, I am the one that was prophesied. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And the multitudes believed on him. And it's his blood 
He shed his blood. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstools. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Friend, this morning I stand here a sinful man. I stand here flesh and blood, but I have been redeemed. I have been saved by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by simple faith as a child believing on what He did. I have been redeemed. I have been purchased with the blood of Christ. Religion wants to keep bound. Religion wants you coming back year after year. Religion gives you no hope but just condemnation. But as the Lord Jesus Christ, He did not come to condemn the world, but He came to redeem the world. And can you see how Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, paying the sins of the world, would be bad for religious business? I'm getting ahead of myself, but if there's but one mediator between God and man, I don't have to go to that phone booth every week and tell another sinful man the sins that I did. And on the way out, Pay $4 to light a candle. No, because when Jesus shed his blood and paid the sin debt, it was done. It was over. It was one time. I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve that eternal damnation in hell. But because the Lord Jesus Christ came and paid my sin debt, I believe on him. And I've been redeemed. So that is the conflict. The chief priests were the manifestation of dead religion. We can take this same conflict today and we can apply it to the day we live in. From the time we read in Matthew chapter 27 till today, it has been the same. There's still a conflict with dead religion and with Jesus Christ. Dead religion keeps a man bound. Redemption sets him free. If you know the Bible and you study the Bible, the Bible also tells us that Jesus is going to return again with all the redeemed. And the religions of the world will reunite for a final conflict with the Redeemer. Spoiler alert, he wins again. We look at the chief priests, and I want to point several things out about them that dead religion is today. I want you to notice, we're back in Matthew chapter we had tw- chapter 26, actually. I want you to notice, number one, they were conspirators. The chief priests were conspirators. I've discovered when you have truth on your side, you don't have to work against to make things happen. Chapter 26, verse 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priest. Those that came to arrest Jesus came from the chief priest. Chapter 26, verse 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. 
Matthew 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Chapter 27, verse number 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Why was that multitude that shouted, crucify him, crucify him, so worked up? It was the chief priest. It was dead religion that organized the mob against Jesus Christ. That still takes place today. It is dead religion. Friend, we need to get over this. Well, it's, it's the Republican Democrat. No, there is one, Satan, who is our adversary, who is still in rebellion against God, and every false religion belongs to him. We're not in a political battle in our world. We're in a spiritual one between the Redeemer and dead religion. If religion were not dead... It would have no need to conspire against Jesus. We've read just a sampling of the conspiracy. They were conspirators. They worked against the truth. There's one thing about truth, whether you like it or not. There's one thing about this book, whether you like what it says or not. It's very clear what it says. And it doesn't have to conspire to have an effect See, dead religion today continues to conspire against Christ. Think about this. In the New Testament, every Christian, they were, the, early, the early Christians were persecuted and put to death because they believed the resurrection of Christ and they forsook the religion. See, the trouble did not end for the chief priest when Jesus yielded up the ghost. And I remind you once again, his life was not taken. He gave his life. Their trouble did not end then, although they thought it did. Their troubles were just beginning. Because Jesus came forth out of that tomb, conquering death and hell. He met with his disciples. He ascended to heaven and, and commissioned all of his followers there, that early church, now go tell everybody else. Then they were empowered and they began to spread the word and those early Christians left the dead religion believed on Jesus Christ, a resurrected Savior, and they were persecuted and put to death for it. In the dark ages, that period of time referred to as the dark ages, tens of thousands of Christians were martyred by the Catholic Church for not believing in Catholic doctrine. The greatest tragedy, and it's a tragedy, there's those today that try and cover up the Holocaust. And you won't, you won't ever read something that'll keep you up for days. You read the horror and the tragedy of the Holocaust. And we ought to remember those that were slaughtered just for the fact they were Jews. But the period of history, it's amazing, we want to get covered up, is when the Catholic Church ruled and reigned, and if you would not convert to Catholic doctrine and you believed your faith was in Jesus Christ, you were put to death just for believing in a resurrection. See, there's no new thing under the sun. 
It's in our news all the time today. The Muslims mark those who believe on Christ. Villages around the world are burnt to the ground because they name the name of Christ. Don't make the mistake of thinking that in the future, when there is a, when the Antichrist is on the scene and there is a mark, I remind you, we're not going to be here. So don't let Fox News get you all worked up. We're not going to be here. It's not a political one world movement as much as it is a religious one world movement. All religions were united against Jesus Christ. The chief priest, this manifestation of false religion, they're conspirators. Number two, I want us to see that they're cold-hearted. Matthew chapter 27, once again, I want you to look with me at verse number three. Then Jesus, which had betrayed him, I'm sorry, within Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now, we don't have time to go back in Scripture, but let's just use some common sense. Why would he bring the 30 pieces of silver back to the chief priests and elders? Because he brought it back to those he got it from saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And these chief priests, so compassionate. Judas, because of his unbelief, his fate had been sealed. Notice the words of the chief priests in verse 4, and they said, What is that to us? See thou to it. It was too late for him, but the response, the cold-hearted, what is that to us? And dead religion cares not about the souls that it damns to hell. Dead religion doesn't care about those who put their faith and trust in what they were teaching and what they said was fact. And Judas had his, had his, has, has to be accountable for his own actions. But it was him following the path of the chief priest and the offer of the bribe. And then when he realized and he admitted what he already knew, Jesus, it was innocent blood. He is not guilty of this. I don't believe it necessarily means he believes Jesus was who he said he was, but he knew he was innocent of these charges. And their concern was, what is that to us? What, what do you want us to do about it? See thou to that. That's your problem. Oh, there's going to be a host of, of people who believed what some dead religion taught them. You put whatever name on that religion you want to, and you can, you can, you can, you can, you can clarify each and every one, or you can just lump them all into one. You either believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for redemption, or you believe in your own self. You believe in works. You believe in what somebody else can do. There's going to be a lot of individuals, sadly, who believed in that, who are going to stand before the Almighty God at the great white throne of judgment. 
And that then they're going to know that it's only Jesus. Then they're going to know the church can't save them. Then they're going to know that their good works can't save them. And dead religion cares nothing about the end result. How cold-hearted can you be? Let me just offer some perspective as well. There are some who would say the kind of preaching I'm doing this morning is mean-spirited. So it's mean-spirited to tell you the truth. No, it's mean-spirited to lie. It's mean-spirited to give hope when there is no hope. It's mean-spirited to conspire against the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reason why the chief priests had to get rid of Jesus because he was ripe. He, he is the Son of God. He is redemption. There's a reason why that early church in the book of Acts had to be exterminated because they had the truth that Jesus was the way to heaven. There's a reason why in the dark ages the Catholic church had to eliminate those Bible believers because they were contrary to their religious business. How sad and cold-hearted as revealed in their interaction with Judas. What is that to us? See thou to that. But they did find a way to be sanctimonious. Verse 5, And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury. Because it is the price of blood. Just a few verses later, they're at the cross mocking Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Dead religion is always on a soapbox. But they can't cover up their failures. They can't cover up their own sin. They can't cover up their inadequacy. They're cold-hearted. We moved to number three this morning. They were callous. Matthew 27, verse 41. Likewise, all the, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others himself, he cannot save. I'm not an expert on what the chief priests should and shouldn't have been doing. Something tells me they probably should have been doing chief priest stuff and not at a place of execution mocking somebody on the cross. They cared nothing for Jesus when their very office, that of a priest, was designed to serve their fellow man. You can write this reference down. Hebrews 5, 1 and 2 tells us that the priest was called out of men to serve men. Verse 2 of Hebrews 5 goes on to talk about the compassion and the, the sensitivity they should have. And by the way, you, you know where I stand on things and you know I'm going to preach the truth whether this world digests it or not. But you also know the heart by which I do it with. You also know the compassion that I try and live with. That's what these chief priests 
should have been doing, but they were so cold-hearted that they had become callous. I remind you what the Scripture tells us about the Lord and what He had already endured, endured before He got to the cross. He had been buffeted. He had been smoked in the face with fist. His beard had been plucked out. He had been whipped with that cat of nine tails, which just to remind you, but if you're not familiar, it was that whip that had nine long leather strands, and in the end they would put some bone or some, some sort of uh, 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 stone that was sharp that when it was wrapped around the body, it would grab a hold of the flesh. And then that one administering the beating would rip away. It was not uncustom for the one to be crucified to die before he ever got to the cross. He had that crown of thorns placed upon his head in, in mockery. The Bible reminds us that he was not even recognized as a man. Not that they didn't recognize who he was. He didn't even look human after what he endured. You would think that these chief priests would find something in their heart to at least have pity on someone who had endured that. But when you do not care about the souls of individuals, when you are too blind to accept the truth, there's a natural progression of callousness where they were not even affected by the sheer pain and pity. They had become... Callous. What a bloody scene. And they cared nothing for Jesus when their very office was designed to serve their fellow man. I don't know the heart condition of every individual here. But if you're not saved, you better not reject Christ this morning. The conclusion of this message, we have that invitation and we invite people to come to Christ and we invite Christians to come and pray. You better not leave here without Christ because if you reject Him as the chief priest did, the progression is eventually, if you don't accept it, you'll become so callous that seeing what they saw that day had no effect on them. You think about those Christians that were burned at the stake, condemned to death by the religious. No effect. Friend, that's not the love of Christ. Then I come to number four, and I'm quickly running out of time. Not only were they callous, and not only were they conspirators, not only were they cold-hearted, but number four, they were clueless. Matthew 27, I want to read again verses 40 through 43. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down for the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. They questioned whether or not he was the son of God. 
How did they want him to prove that he was? They said, save yourself. Come down off of the cross. See, in those chief priests' mind, if he cannot save himself, we want everybody here deceived. The Scripture tells us, I hope we've seen it week to week, the Scripture tells us there was gatherings there. His followers were there. They were just, this is a place of execution. People would come and gawk. It was a way by the city coming in and out of the gates. There was a gathering there because Jesus brought that much attention. And so those chief priests were there, and, and I don't have time to go into it this morning, but they, they had an issue with Pilate because Pilate had put, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, and they wanted him to change it to say, this is what, that's what he said. Pilate said, I've written what I've written. So they had to be there to further convince everyone that he was not who he said he was. Isn't it amazing that, that this book says, just preach Jesus and that'll do a work in itself? The Spirit of God proves the truth. The Spirit of God is what convinced you of your sin condition, what convinced you that Jesus was the way. If you're not saved this morning and you're lost, it's the Spirit of God that's troubling your spirit right now. It's the Spirit of God that's telling you that he's, what he's saying is exactly right. But they said there as a spectacle, see, if he cannot save himself, he couldn't save you. If he cannot save himself... Everything he has done up to this point was a sham. All those miracles that you've heard that he did, well, surely he can come down off that cross. But see, dead religion is clueless. It's so full of pride. How prideful does a religion, does man have to be to think he can save himself? How prideful does... Religion have to be to think that the church is, is above the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, the dead religion is so full of pride, is so consumed with itself, that just as it was then, it is now, it's clueless to Christ's purpose. In verse 40, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. These religious to think they're so smart, but they're really, they're really not that intelligent. You said you would destroy it in three days. Hey, it's day one. And, the, and religion tries to purpose to make itself so much smarter than God's plan of salvation. And we know what the Bible says, but let me tell you what you've got to do to be accepted. Oh, you said you'd destroy the temple in three days, build it up. Come on down. It's only day one. They were so full of themselves that they did not consider what Jesus had said he was there to do. See, they admonished him to come off the cross. Surely if you're the Son of God, you can come down. Surely if you're the Son of God, he'll, God himself, the Father, will save you. But what they were clueless to is the fact that Jesus had to stay on the cross in order to come out of the grave. His purpose was redemption. He came to redeem man, not to enslave them, as religion does. See, if he had come down off that cross, he would not have fulfilled his purpose. 
Because when Jesus taught that I'll destroy the temple in three days, build it up, what he was teaching was he would be in that grave for three days, and while he was there, he'd be sprinkling his own blood on the mercy seat in heaven. The chief priests are obsolete now. The high priest has now paid the price. So as we close this morning, let me leave you with these final thoughts as this clash between dead religion and redemption. We look in, we've see, look at with me in verse number 50, <clears throat> Matthew 27. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. <clears throat> that veil that the, the high priest would go behind to sprinkle the blood of the bulls and the goats. The great high priest, Jesus Christ, had just said, it's finished. And God in heaven took that veil and ripped it in two. The chief priests are out of a job. They're no longer needed to spread the blood of bulls and goats because Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, has shed His own blood and His own blood would be applied to everyone who, who trusted in Him. Verse number 52, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after His resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. I wonder what those chief priests are thinking right about now. Now when the centurion... And they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake. And those things that were done, they feared greatly. We know what the chief priests have said. They've been, they've been mocking him. But when they saw everything going on, they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. And no matter how many times religion tries to explain it away, Jesus is still the answer. Jesus is still re redeeming sinners. Jesus is still the one to look to. Verse 55, And many women which were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Then we go down to verse number 62. Now the next day. This is day two into three days. That followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate. Here's the chief priest again saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Here comes the conspirators again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Chief priest come and said, He's deceived people. Remember how he said that he would rise again? We better set some people there so that his disciples don't come steal him. Pilate says, we read it, Make it as sure as you can. They sealed the tomb. Oh, no, Jesus isn't getting out. They put guards there. Oh, no, Jesus isn't getting out. Notice in verse number 1 of chapter 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, 
For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you in the Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. Jesus finished redemption's plan. And dead religions have been trying to cover it up ever since. Because if I can convince you to believe in the church for salvation, you won't look to Jesus. If I can convince you, deceive you, to look to quote-unquote holy men for forgiveness of sins, you won't look to Jesus. If I can convince you, if I can throw some theory out there of why these things may or may not have happened and you just depend on your own goodness, you won't look to Jesus. Friend, Jesus finished redemption's plan. Aren't you thankful for that? Dead religions never saved anyone. But oh, Jesus has saved a whole bunch of people. Can I tell you, in 2021, He's still saving. If you're here this morning or you're watching my live stream or listening to my radio this morning, and you're depending on a religion to, to get you to heaven, you're not going to get there. But but my grandmother was very religious, but was she saved? Well, Pastor, I'm very religious, but are you saved? Are you depending on Jesus, His finished work, the gospel? I I, I don't care what the Pope says. I, I don't care what the church hierarchy say. I don't care what denominational label you put on it, Methodist, Presbyterian, I'm a Baptist, but you can throw that on there. Being a Baptist don't get you to heaven, but being washed by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way of redemption. Little did those chief priests know while they were conspiring. They were helping redemption's plan along. They can try and cover it up, but friend, you know it and I know it because he lives in our heart. Christ, our Redeemer. Father, I pray.